I just would just sit here, right? Okay. Um, I'm wondering if Mr. Bugby is in the house. There he is. He's got a tie on as well. This is truly a day. Come on up, Robert. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's, we can, okay. Um, this is going to be the highlight of this conference for me. Uh, it's been a long time since I've had a chance to uh, sit and have a conversation with, with, with Robert. Uh, we had a nice conversation the other day to kind of get some thoughts organized around what we might talk about. Um, and obviously, uh, Robert is a guy who's been around this industry for, for many years, um, has, has, has been a real leader in many respects, uh, building a, uh, a, 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 a product tanker company that is arguably the market leader, um, and, and more recently uh, diverting um, capital and, and, and uh, investment into, into the offshore wind uh, vessel space. We're going to keep things a little more high level here. Robert will be on the product tanker panel later, and things on the offshore wind side are, are uh, at a state with, with uh, various regulatory bodies that we, we, we don't really want to talk about details there. But So we're going to keep things high level. And, and the first question I wanted to ask you was, again, you've, you've been around this market for many years. Uh, you've seen a lot of different situations. How do you see, on a more macro level, the market developing? over the next 18 to 24 months? Um, what are the critical elements? What's different this time? Um, yeah, I'll leave, it, I'll leave it there. It's sure. a big, broad question, but I'm giving you a lot of running room. Yeah, I appreciate that. First, first of all, I'd like to sort of, um, sort of start off where I ended at the last DNB conference in Oslo in uh, March, where I gave out various medals for certain executives and uh, was able to give Lars Bastard the silver medal because he'd come second so many times in mergers and acquisitions. I think it, I'd like to sort of pay him some credit and where, where credit's due is that, you know, he's seriously promoted his medals, right? I mean, it's fantastic. He's finally completed the year and a half um, position. So I think that he's even beyond, gone beyond gold. He's moved to platinum level now. I think that's excellent. Um, so to sort of start in that vein, um, I, heard a, I heard that his uh, various investors have told me in the last 24 hours that they've never heard uh, him so bullish on the uh, crude oil space and the VLCC space ever. Um, I think I'd be pretty damn bullish if I just spent $2 billion of John Fredrickson's money, but um, otherwise, 
you know, I think we'll sort of start there. And I think there is great cause for every one of the sh shipping sectors to be bullish in its own way. You know, we face a situation where yard space is limited. Most of the fleets need renewable, renewal or expansion. And we are capital constrained in, let's say, the debt side. I think it's really good for the shipping industry going forward that debt has become more expensive because that you know, makes people think twice about making any speculative moves. They have to come from more fundamentals, etc. The capital itself is somewhat constrained. Um, we don't have any let's say the, we don't have any of the private equity speculators really putting money on. They're looking to take money out. And we have a lot of the sale and purchase market in each of the sectors being, being done with real cash money from private owners' pockets. And I think that sets a very good foundation for the industry going forward in, in generally all of its sectors. And I think, see it as a, you know, just a set of, you know, braided hair. Of course, one of the sectors may move up quicker over the next six months than others, but ultimately they're all going to come together. And I think shipping is in a very good space. Um, and it's even in better space at the moment if we look at it in its relative situation to a world that isn't really functioning properly yet. It's still coming out of COVID. There's still you know, tepid growth in some areas and talk of recession. And I think that that's where shipping now sits. The question is not necessarily so much what is the shipping risk in many of the markets. It's what is the geopolitical and the, the um, world risk and the world financial risks as to what will happen over the next couple of years. So... I, I uh, thank you. I I, uh, I made some comments earlier about uh, energy security versus energy transition. These are two uh, forces kind of pulling markets, physical and paper, in opposite directions. Um, you 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 have a leg in each of them, uh, and I wonder how how you see that situation today, kind of impacting the way you 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 think about strategy and and, and strategic decision making. Yeah, I. Look, I think it's quite scary just, just in general because we have, um, if, if we looked on the, those who are pro-renewable side, you know, most of the schedules for renewables are, are way behind. When I look at some of the government forecasts, they're really very unrealistic. And, um, you know, countries like the United States really, for example, in offshore wind have very little plans, etc. And most projects have been pushed to, most sectors have been pushed to the right in, the, in terms of time. And at the same time, you know, the world is pretty vulnerable to, you know, carbon shortages. You know, we just got away with it last year. We exited February with record lows of inventories. And thank God that the winter was a very mild winter. And thank God that it wasn't too far to get to spring when we got to February. 
But this year we're kind of a little bit again back on the knife edge. No one's done anything. The situation's just as bad in some areas. Inventories are even lower than they were in February and we're about to approach winter. And this winter may not be as mild as it was last year. So the difficulty is, is that we're not necessarily doing a great job in terms of actually transition itself. In fact, I think in many sect in many areas, we're only just understanding that you actually do need to have a transition. You can't just turn the light off for, on carbon and the light on in renewables. So somehow we have to sort of navigate that. Um, I think that you know that is feeding into the tanker space obviously it's it's going to show more time on the tankers i'm sure that we're going to see continued shipments and positive shipments in coal i mean if we go back three four years you know there was a lot of worry as to whether or not coal would be used at all and the transportation of coal would decline so that factor is benefiting the shipping sectors itself um but it's going to, again, you know, we have to face it at one point. And in the renewables, I think that, I think it's to the advantage of, you know, the existing players and the existing, existing positions, but it's almost like being a wasted year. You're just writing and just looking at the press, there's far less written positively about new projects in renewables than there were before. If we look at the equities, we've had net cash flows out of the renewable space. So somehow we need to change the dynamic or that funding won't be there going forward either and we'll, we'll keep this situation alive for many years. So I think that we're actually very happy with the position we're in at the moment because we do have that big foot in the carbon and we have a big foot in the renewables and I think that's the sort of the way to go at the moment. And, you know, over time, obviously, many, you know, that, that may change. You may move more towards the renewables. But I think that what's happening to the fortune of let's say Scorpio tankers, is that you're really extending this bull cycle by the lack of effort that's being really made on the renewables and the general energy policies by, in governments around the world. Is it, do, do, do you see the, the kind of movement we had? You said projects being moved to the right. Um, I, you know, I said, you know, to, me, to me, renewables looks largely an uninvestable space you know, for the, for the time being, uh, whereas we see tons of activity coming out of the, the oil and gas, the offshore drilling, you know, the, the traditional fossil fuel related activities. I, is this down to a problem with policies driving the renewable effort, the transition effort, or, or is it more just the fact that we've got inflation, we've got higher costs, we've still got this dislocation in supply yeah. chains, or is it just a mix of both? It's, it's all of the above. Yeah. I mean, you know, renew, renewables sort of and equity investors sort of, you know, have to share the blame, right? Because they were so hyped up and pumped out about the promise of renewables that capital flooded out of carbon into renewable projects. And think how many battery investments have fallen apart in the last two years. And, and so you, you're playing catch-up 
in the carbon side. And those projects, that, that, that re return on big projects is, is questionable for some of them at the moment. Um, but again, I think that the, you know, the present incumbents will be fine. It's probably a good time to invest in present incumbents because it's rather like shipping. You want to buy shipping stocks when there aren't the, the, the news flow of new building orders, et cetera, et cetera. You, uh, you maybe touched on it a minute ago, but you know the central bankers worldwide are, are singing from the same song sheet. We're going to have higher interest rates for longer. That's, that's the song. Um, what's the silver lining there if there is one? I think that's great. I mean, it, it, it's, the silver lining is that it's going to make people look at projects in a, in a proper way. It, it's, I think that um, the silver lining is that there's just more risk there. And we, we've been the beneficiary. I mean, Scorpio Tankers, it's been a long road to get to where we've been. Many starts and many, many stops. And I think that part of our ability to survive through those weaker periods and to continue to you know, move forward because we were in such a low interest rate environment. So you could afford to do two things. You could afford to do mistakes and you could afford to have the vagaries of the world thrown upon you right? In a, in, and, and get through them. I think now with, you know, if you add margin and you start, you know, companies, even good companies are paying around sort of 8% all in and you start having the media mediocre at nines and tens and less than that into 11s and 12s, it, it's hard now. Yeah, every day to get out of bed on a, you know, it's disguised in a, in a good market. But if you have to get out of bed on a market, the shipping market that's generating only just above OPEX and you're having to pay 10% on your debt, it, that's harder. So I think that it does that. It also makes the cost of capital to do new buildings much higher. So it, it will, will pause people when it comes to putting in new building investments. Um, so I think those are the, you know, those become the silver lining to the market. So you said a few moments ago that you, you, having both legs is, is quite an advantage today and, 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 and maybe there's more emphasis and there's longer legs uh, to, the, to the carbon uh, footprint with, with, that you have, mm. say, with Sting, if you want to say it that way. How do you then think about um, further building that platform, if that's a viable way of thinking about it? How do you take advantage of, of that current, say, bull position that you have, um, given new building prices where they are, giving interest rates where they are? How, how do you think about that? I think the key to Sting at the moment is to try and think as little as possible um, and, and kind of not screw it up, right? It's like just, just sail the boat, just keep it going calmly to focus on improving the quality of the investment for the, for the shareholders. The fleet is, you know, the newest fleet out there. It's a big fleet. So we have no urgency, no requirement to renew it. We have no reason to grow it. And we have, um, you know, focused in, you know, this last uh, 
three, four months, we've got a great new credit facility from, you know, commercial commercial banks. Um, you know, you guys have supported us well on that and taken a lead, lead role in that. And that's allowing us to restructure our more f expensive legacy debt. So we're coming more financially efficient. Even though we've bought back you know, $460 million worth of shares year to date, we're also taking the debt down. And we'll continue to do that and improve the quality of, of, the, of the investment going forward. Um, you know, if we have a reasonable winter, we could have net debt or actually gross debt that's pretty close to the scrap value of the fleet. And we're certainly, we're not thinking at all about new buildings. And we're just trying to just sail the slip ship and take it into, you know, a fantastic position. And, because, and that's partly because we see the, the cycle is now being extended for products. So we know from history that those companies that have been valued the greatest, ironically, in, in, even in strong markets, have been the ones with, you know, the least leverage. And the um, you know the better the better fleets, and at some point our competitors will have to you know look to renew their fleets. At some point, we will reach that position very shortly. Where you know I think if you got to debt being the same as scrap value, I think it would be unarguable that you're safe enough. Then even the most conservative of our long onlys would be perfectly happy with us increasing, you know, dividends, special dividends, whatever. But try not to think now, just... Just run, uh, run just, forward. Just, just, yeah. So, shipping companies are in the strongest financial position that I can recall uh, in my career. Strong balance sheets, good liquidity, they're paying down debt, they've started to consistently return return capital to shareholders, you know, really running the financial side of the business, you know, very, very efficiently. And, and obviously that's, that's generated by, by what we've seen as relatively good markets. And there's not really a lot of new building commitments that are taking mm -hmm. capital away. Um, still yet the public markets are normally valuing the shipping companies at a somewhat or significant discount to NAV. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about, you know, what, what more can, what more can a, a ship owner do, um, given all those good things they are doing, to, to try and lift that valuation to, to a level that, you know, you would all find more, uh, more attractive? I don't, I don't think we should really bother ourselves with that on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, there is, you know, the, the, the market will be the market. The, the, the market will... You know, we went through a period where, for example, we bought stock every day, the maximum, bang, 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 bang. And But Wall Street at the time was way more worried about oil price going down and oil being a proxy for world recession. And, you know, the, the, the stock just carried on going downwards through that position. It was great because we could buy back stock. But no policy that a company can do, I believe, can, you know, can, can, can overwhelm a, a, a position that the broad market takes at that point. 
and I think that you know you can see that maybe, maybe you know we, we are most likely we've said it many times that we're we're not adverse to selling you know selling some of our older vessels now and you know some of those vessels are you know the two twelves are now eleven next year there'll be twelve. Um, I think that's a smart thing to do. The, the prices are uh, prices are high for those vessels now, and you know we've got a big disconnect in our NAV. So, you know that's something that you can positively do. But again, it, sometimes it is what it is. There's there's, there's a good reason to. Wall Street's got a lot to worry about, right? I mean, it, you can't really blame the investor too much. They haven't, you know, the markets broadly haven't been, not been a great year anyway. Um, extreme volatility that's going on. You know, if we'd spoken last week, it would have been, well, we've got a war in Central Europe. Well, we've now got a war in the Middle East. And we've got this overhang of will the world get through this period? Will it be a soft landing or will it be a hard landing? So I think there's not much point in, in again, we don't spend much time in worrying about how do we, um, how do we close the gap between NAV and stock price or where we are against investors. If you keep improving the, the quality of the assets and you keep earning cash flow, your stock will go up. There's not a... It's just a question of relative time. And at the moment, it's, it's not far away. And, you know, it, it, it's a present rate. You know, we're earning somewhere in the region of $20, $22 per share of cash flow on an annual basis. And, you know, I think all analysts would say that, you know, we're still in a seasonal weaker point. Pretty good timing. Thank you. That's great. Thank you, Ted. Right. Enjoy, enjoy today, everybody. Thank you.